Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Janet. And I'm Helen. Hello, hello, and happy early Halloween, everyone. So in episode 79, we shared with you all some of our spooky horror stories from our time working in corporate, from a visit to the strip club with all male coworkers, to creepy bosses asking us if we had a boyfriend, to terrible working conditions that definitely did not pass OSHA laws. Not a lot of us like to air out our dirty laundry when it comes to our jobs, out of fear of looking like a disgruntled worker or even the possibility of getting fired. But we asked you on Instagram if you were open to sharing, and to our surprise, our DMs were flooded with your messages, from physically, emotionally, and verbally abusive bosses to countless stories of mismanagement. These are pretty heartbreaking to read. It seems that there just isn't enough done to combat these toxic work environments. At the end of the day, we are all in this together. And the more we share, the more we know that we're not alone in these experiences. So on theme with this weekend's Halloween celebrations, I kind of miss your music, Mel. (laughs) (laughs) We decided to share some of your work-related horror stories. Ooh. (laughs) Okay. All right, so to kick us off, this one came from Janine, and I'm just going to read it out. So from Janine, in a meeting, someone asked me if I was Filipino, and I said, unfortunately, I was embarrassed and regretted it instantly. 29 years of Asian American shame or seven years of corporate rising, white adjacent behavior makes me say things I don't mean. Or if I did mean it at the time, it's because of an underlying emotion that if I do everything opposite my culture expects of me as a woman to be submissive, never question authority, don't speak up or cause fuss, I'll move up the ladder. I had to walk it back because it was so embarrassing, but I'm proud of my culture and unraveling systemic Asian or homeland mentality is a journey. I'm a director now and use my position as a way to lift up BIPOC and women colleagues for deserved promotions or responsibilities whenever I can. Janine, thank you so much for sharing your story. First of all, I want to say congrats on your role of being director. And it's really encouraging to hear now that you're using your role to really uplift women of color at your work. Um, to be honest, I actually feel like I have like similar instances like you. Um, when I first started in corporate, I would say things like, I know that's super Asian, but, and then I'll kind of go with my story. And I think for me, that was a way to blend and not really stand out because I knew it, for them, it's like exotic. But, you know, as I've grown to be more comfortable with my identity, I found myself not caring about talking about my Asian interests. Like I do like enjoying eating noodles or watching Korean dramas and I have no shame talking about it now. And to be honest, I would still get comments like, oh, my gosh, Mel, you're so Asian or that's so Asian. But I just started I just stopped caring. I'm like, yeah, I am Asian and it's hella good. Mm -hmm. So I think I've been on this journey of like. When you start corporate and you start a job, you don't you don't want to stand out. You know, you want to blend in and kind of like play the game, like not play the game, but like kind of just play your part and not have anyone make comments towards you. So I would say things 
to kind of like downplay my identity. Mm-hmm. But now I think as you get more comfortable with your own identity and be more comfortable within your own skin and embrace this side of you, you learn to really not give a crap and really be like, yeah, I am Asian. I'm proud of it. So I kind of understand where you're, what you're going through. Janine and Mel, I echo you both. And I would say particularly for kind of like a first job or one of your first maybe two to three jobs out of college, um, when you come into a new setting, you're still trying to figure out what is protocol and what's common, right? So your, your default is that they're right and you're wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and for me personally, I um, my kind of code switching experience or story is less culture related and more gender related. Mm-hmm. When I first started and worked in Deloitte and I was in a, you know, a, a small practice called transfer pricing, there were a couple of Asian people in the international tax department. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like directly in my team but kind of nearby however my team was really heavily male and and mostly white male too in terms of people at the top so I recall like I started noticing that like when I what I would choose to wear to work was much more masculine like I I wanted to do everything to avoid coming off feminine so I'd only wear pants I I didn't wear skirts Um, I would put minimal makeup on Um, I just tried to like I don't know why some of it was like trying to not attract attention to myself or just like blend in and I think it's it's the whole kind of like ethos that when you're starting at some place you want to kind of emulate what you see in the mm. uppers above you mm-hmm. and that and that's and that probably came through in terms of language as well right mm-hmm. like the way that I would talk um and then it's kind of weird because like my career I've been in different settings right so I was like code switching to kind of blend in with like corporate white dudes and then I remember then going into advertising later in my career I was in my late 20s and advertising is a very young industry Mm. so I remember coming into agencies and having to do the opposite where I was like shit I feel old and not hip and I'd have to like you know have meetings and brainstorming sessions with these like young creative people and I could tell that they were looking at me like you're this like older uncool person (laughs) so I had to kind of like try to code switch to like you know, to, to, to blend in with these, like, kind of, with that culture. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so it's kind of yeah. funky. I don't know. How about you, Helen? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like at the end of the day, you just kind of want to fit in so that people yeah. aren't judging characteristics about you that might stand out. Mm-hmm. So they're only focusing on the quality of your work and what you can produce in the work setting rather than saying, like, oh, this girl, like, really loves noodles. Like, yeah. that's what I know her for, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Um, so I could see what you're saying here. But to Janine, like, ugh, I feel her so much on this. I mean, I wasn't a psychology major in college, but I think there definitely is some correlation between our actions and stepping into this role that is sort of expected of us, whether it's a result of a power dynamic, so someone in power imposing their expectations on you, or it's a natural people-pleasing tendency, like us wanting to be this person that people expect us to be out of fear of disappointing them if we're not that person. I think when it comes to Asian people and Asian women in particular, the stereotype is that we are submissive, we are quiet, Mm -hmm. we won't ruffle any feathers, especially in the workplace. And it annoys me so much that this is the expectation that that we have this like additional burden as Asian American women to feel the need to break out of this stereotype. Um, sometimes even by like unnaturally overcompensating. I've seen a lot of people be like extra dudish, yeah. just an extra like code switching just mm-hmm. to make sure that they fit in, right? Yeah. But I think what Janine went through uh, telling someone that it's unfortunate that she's Filipino, it sounds so ridiculous, but it also doesn't sound shocking to me because mm-hmm. I feel like I understand the position that she was put in and why she would say that, which is actually really sad to think about. Yeah. Um, because I've probably done something in the past where similarly, I probably laughed off like an Asian joke or something because right, it caught exactly. me off guard or I didn't know how to respond to it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to seem like that person in the office that got easily offended from these types of jokes. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that it like struck me in my gut as like that comment wasn't right or that did not sit well. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say anything because I didn't know how to protect myself. Mm-hmm. And I think later on my in my career, I would hear these comments and I went on this journey from like, being quiet and laughing along to being kind of like aggressive and giving them a what the fuck look without any context mm. to becoming more educational. Like I will now later on in my career ask like, what, oh, why do you think that's funny? Oh no, like not all Asian people are Chinese. Isn't that sort of like a an assumption that you're making? Isn't that a little racist? Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, when you approach it in a calm, almost like educational way, I feel like people take it pretty well because they realize they're the racist ones rather than you being the easily offended one. So I think there is like a tactic to approaching coworkers when when you're, you know, in your gut, you can tell that this is not like something that should have been said. But code switching and trying to fit in is something that I definitely felt, especially as like a minority working in in corporate. Like there's a spectrum here that we've exemplified code switching, right? 
One is where like to some level, it's totally fine to develop the interest of your coworkers to try to form a relationship with yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And then on the other spectrum, it's like when you're trying to switch yourself so much that you get that gut feeling like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Like I'm betraying my identity or culture in some way. The great perspective is to be educational about it. Because yeah. I think you're right, Helen. Like my, I think all of us think, oh, to not be someone who's walked all over. It's like I should like give them a stare or like, yeah. t- like tell them yeah. off. But the truth is people are not going to be receptive to that. Mm-hmm. And like I would be scared to do that to any coworker when I'm in a setting where you don't want to like mm-hmm. damage that relationship. So coming from an educational thing mm-hmm. perspective, also it like benefits them mm-hmm. because they're going to interact with other people of that cultural background and now they should know like how to act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think Helen, you bring up really good tips to like how to like, you know, kind of tackle these like code switching habits that we kind of do at work. Um, you guys know I have a younger brother and he right now currently is applying to different jobs. And as he's interviewing, he's like, Mel, like, do you think this is considered code switching? But like when I'm interviewing, I realize that the way I talk just changes. So it makes me think about your phone voice. One thing I'm wondering is like, I do think that my phone voice when I'm talking with a client or something, it just changes. Like I'm more like professional, quote unquote, and my mom does it too. But do you think like the way we talk corporate is a form of code switching? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And I think it's, if anything, it's almost like your ability to shape shift towards the person that you're, your audience, right? Mm-hmm. It's like know your audience and know how to talk to them and that and know how to connect with them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's more of a skill mm-hmm. that um, he is aware of that and he is able to do that. Mm-hmm. And even when you're on a call with a client, obviously you won't be like, yo, I'm male. Like yeah. I just got off the toilet <laughs> or some shit. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's smart of you and strategic of you, yeah. tactical of you not to do that. I'm glad you don't do that. No, no I don't. For, well, <laughs> I mean, I was on the call with Tushy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that is a good... Actually, I did notice, like, when I was working in transfer pricing versus advertising, even the clients are different. Oh, because the people that, would, like, run the marketing department of, like, you know, some of these bigger brands, like, a lot of them are very youthful and, like, mm. you know, they use, like, slang. Um, but you bring up a good point, which is, like, what's the difference between code switching to be more, like, quote-unquote Americanized mm. or white yeah. versus being more professional? professional. Mm. And is it, and I think we've had conversations around this where, like, is it just because a lot of corporate starts from whatever the vast majority of professional working environments were, yeah. which is the vast majority kind of, like, white yeah. white Americans? Yeah. I know. I, I brought this up to you guys because my brother asked me, and I was like, huh. I want to ask the ladies what they thought because I, I I didn't know. I was like, you know, but you two bring up really good points. It, it is a blend of like you have to like kind of cater to who you're working with to kind of like build that relationship. But also mm-hmm. it's like thinking about the history of the, the structure, right? Mm-hmm. The corporate structure. Yeah, I've, I've heard from people who like had left very like white dominant companies to say like a Samsung or something that is more international Asian. They just felt so much more accepted for their natural like dialect and, mm. oh, and their dialogue. Because it's like th- there's a difference between like the more aggressive yeah. like type A, mm-hmm. you know, go-getter bro, I guess, bro yeah. kind of talk sometimes versus like an Asian company, which might be a little different. Mm. Yeah. So I always thought that was that was interesting. interesting yeah. Yeah. yeah, But I guess depending on like whatever industry you want to be involved mm-hmm. in, you might have to do a little bit of shape-shifting. And maybe understanding, like, I think, Helen, like, like, for back to Jenny, like, it's, like, knowing when you feel uncomfortable and like, you're kind of, like, denying yourself your true identity, but right. it, it, it's it's a fine line. I think also being deliberate about, like, or first of all, recognizing what are the things in that industry you're going into that are different than you, mm. right? Like, so if it's, like, a way they talk, a way they dress, and then, like, try it out and then see how you feel during it. Because one of the very clear things to me was during my time in uh, transfer pricing, I always felt like I was going to work in a costume. Mm. And that's where it was a code switching thing where I'm like, this doesn't, it does feel like not me. You know what I mean? Yeah. First, go go into that uh, company's culture and observe and give their ways of doing things a chance. But if you find that when you're doing those things and you're accommodating, if you don't feel right inside, then listen to that inside mm-hmm. voice. Mm-hmm. All right. So our next story comes from Eunice. She says, hey there. First of all, thanks for the community you created through ABG. Avid fan. I'm a senior manager at a big four. And boy, do I have my share of corporate horror stories. I usually don't speak out, but thought your platform might be able to help shed light and start a conversation on nepotism. I said at corporate that we, as Asian American professionals, often aren't privy to due to our lack of social capital. So for example, many of us are the first in our families to have white collar professions that we work tirelessly to achieve through merit and don't have a foot in the door through our parents' connections that land internships, interviews, and jobs, etc. And anyways, the following story is something I shared recently about experience I had with a partner. Thanks in advance. So here's her story. I had an experience once where a partner asked me to do an informational interview for a recent graduate. Fine. I arranged a date and time for me to call the grad and she accepted the invite. She ended up not answering the phone when I rang during our agreed upon time slot. So I left a voicemail and even emailed her letting her know I got her voicemail. 
Two days go by and she emails back apologizing for missing the call and asking if we can reschedule. I ignore. The partner asked me how the call went, so I explained the situation and how irresponsible the recent graduate was. The partner asked me to reach out to the recent graduate and work around her schedule to find another time to connect, since she's a daughter of a client. Throw up emoji face. What do you ladies think? Do you guys have any experience with nepotism? I think it's unfortunate that this is the world that we live in. As Asian Americans and minorities, I feel like we do get the short end of the stick because like Yuna said, our parents and ancestors haven't been here long enough to climb the ladder and solidify a position at the top of these big corporations, generally speaking, right? Mm-hmm. But like with nepotism, such an interesting topic. We see it at work. We see it in politics. We see it in college admissions. I think with like college admissions, and this can go into like a bigger discussion, but when people say to get rid of affirmative action, I know one a big counter argument to that is if you get rid of affirmative action, then why not get rid of legacy admissions, Mm. which is tied to nepotism? There's a study um, on Harvard that found that 43% of white students are legacy students, athletes, or someone related to donors or staff. Like, why is that okay, but affirmative action isn't, right? Mm. So yeah, like Eunice, props to you for making it to senior manager at EY, and thank you for shedding light on this topic that usually does not get discussed. I'm the first generation of my family to have a white-collar profession too, and Um, And I didn't have a foot in the door connections from parents or family members for interviews and jobs. And I did see a lot of like my my white friends. They did get that. But to me, I never questioned it. I was always like, oh, that's 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 normal. Like Mm -hmm. they got the connection. They Mm -hmm. get to do that. But it's good to have these types of discussions because now we can ask ourselves, why do we accept that the state of our world as is is okay? I think it also makes me think about when we do get there, would we be okay with it? Mm-hmm. so maybe it's just like wherever you are you're just like nepotism not okay but then when you get there it's not okay i don't know yeah yeah it's just interesting I think, actually about. that's a really that's a good leeway into my story yeah <laughs> helen so um my experience is actually like one of the internships i did in college was a result of my aunt and uncle and their company mm-hmm. but their company they worked with actually was mostly asian people mm-hmm. but it was a pretty good like um, business analyst type role and so i would say that i did not get the internship because of them but i probably got interviewed because my resume mm-hmm. came through someone who worked there yeah and I have also had experiences now in two jobs where um, I had passed on either a previous coworker or a previous peers resume and that person was hired yeah is it a result of just like when you're in a company you're kind of going to bring in people you know yeah. right and how right or wrong is it's not that it's right or wrong but it's knowing that if like if there's a predominant race or type of person there mm. there needs to be active effort to diversify if yeah. that is your goal right yeah because mm-hmm. I think it's hard because I feel like that What's the different difference between nepotism and networking? Because I think networking, we're taught, yeah. we're encouraged to do, right? To right. use your connections of people that you know. Exactly. Because yeah. I think, honestly, Janet, you actually pushed my resume in for your past company, and I got an interview. Mm-hmm. So I feel, for me, it's like you got me through the door. But when I think about nepotism, I think it's just when you land the job without even an interview and even like a evaluation of your skills. I think for me, networking or pushing the resume in, it's like, hey, I'm pushing to the front of the door. But I want to still going to evaluate you through an interview, see if you're qualified enough to even make it on the team. And then get nepotism is like, oh, automatically hired. Like even when you're not qualified kind of thing. They don't even think about that. They're like, oh, because it happens to like, I have like relatives and they work in certain companies. They're like, oh yeah, my boss's son just got hired. I was like, but did they interview? She's like, what's the point? Like they're, that's not mm, necessary. Like he was already going to be hired. Yeah. yeah. Versus like they still need to be vetted and still need to qualify. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely, I've definitely worked with people who were in their roles because their dad was like, a partner mm. or something yeah and yeah. i was like mm, girl you ain't qualified to work here <laughs> for sure yeah. always left early always you know oh, gone no. in late and i was just saying hmm, questionable so yeah. that would annoy me if someone abuses also their connection yeah. Oh, for sure. right yeah. yeah but i think it's maybe the the takeaway helen you're thinking out loud like if it doesn't mean then when we get to those roles do we also like mm. what is how do you participate right right but i would say maybe in the system like if you have friends you know are qualified like forward their resumes along or like do more to kind of like take active people reaching out to you of course vet that they're like qualified yeah. right mm-hmm. but but maybe take an active role in trying to like bring people in into the setting to kind of diversify yeah mm-hmm. yeah the idea of nepotism it's it, it sounds like a i think when i first heard about it, it like it sounds really foreign but now that we're talking about it out loud nepotism is actually seen a lot in entertainment like not like the industry but like shows you watch like y'all for all you guys on netflix watching itaewon class nepotism is like a cute like a huge theme in a lot of korean dramas it's about like you mm. know the heir mm. the heir to the company the heir to this they're the heir because by blood they're guaranteed a role versus like working 
up working towards that role, like working because of merit, you know? Mm. But then I think the question also on the opposite side is like affirmative action, right? Like you're bringing people in less oh, so right, based on merit, but more so because of diversity. Giving a chance, mm. yeah. Yeah, but is it because we need affirmative action as a counter to things like nepotism and systemic mm. racism yeah. and what's already in place? So That's it's what almost we'll like it to balance it out, right? But on both sides, there's there's like it's almost like you whittle out the percent percentages from each side, where it's um, not merit based on both ends of the spectrum, right? Mm. From the nepotism side, and then from the affirmative action side, mm. and then all you get in the middle is what's left, which is a smaller percentage of what is actually merit based for right, the program right. that you're applying for. That's interesting. Yeah, but maybe we do need that balance until the systems are righted. Then right. you can remove all sides, and it should it should all be based on merit. merit yeah. Here at Asian Boss Girl, we are big supporters of brands and products that are created by women and for women. That's why we are so excited to partner with Spanx, a female-founded and owned company dedicated to elevating women through innovative, game-changing products to empower women to look and feel their best. Now, I know most of us probably think of shapewear when we think of Spanx, but Spanx is actually a powerhouse lifestyle brand offering smarter, more comfortable must-haves. Spanx's best-selling faux leather leggings go with everything, making them a great wardrobe staple that you can dress up or dress down no matter the occasion. The fan-favorite leggings are designed with booty-lifting fabric, and you know your girl can get behind that. It's no wonder they sell out every year. I personally try to avoid real leather when I shop, so I'm a big fan of Spanx's faux leather leggings and Spanx's new leather-like pant collection that looks like chew leather but without the splurge. When I tried on my faux leather leggings, I love that they're center seam free to avoid that awkward accidental camel toe, because that ain't cute. And if you're looking for a pant that looks like leather in a new relaxed silhouette, you have to check out the new Spanx leather-like jogger. To try a pair today, Spanx is offering ABG listeners 10% off your order plus free shipping and returns. Just go to spanx.com ABG, that's S-P-A-N-X dot com ABG, and use the code ABG for 10% off. Look at us. Voters come in all forms. When we exercise our right to vote, our voices sound the same. Powerful. Voting is our main identity on election day, not what we look like or race, sexual orientation, identity, or socioeconomic background. Listen to us. A voter's voice cannot be silenced, and the vote should not be suppressed, no matter the attempts by those who will stop at nothing to alter the course of having a free and fair election. Listen to the voice of the young first-time voter, the voice of the disabled voter. Listen to the voice of the experienced senior citizen, the voice of the disabled military vet, the voice of a teacher, single mom, artist, entrepreneur. Watch us exercise the right to vote, to have a free and fair election. Watch us use our vote and let no obstacle stand in the way. Watch us vote as our voice. Call or text 866-OUR-VOTE for more information on your voting rights. You probably know Glossier for their skincare products and for popularizing the glowy, dewy skin look. Did you know that Glossier also creates makeup products, body care products, and fragrances? We tried the Boy Brow, Future Dew, and Balm.com makeup products recently, which, by the way, comes in a set. And these products give you that glowy, dewy, polished look that I know the three of us always crave. Yep, and the boy brow is my favorite of the three. It's a best-selling grooming pomade for instantly fluffy full brows. Ever since quarantine started and I haven't been able to hit up my normal threading spot, my eyebrows have gone full rogue. The boy brow has helped to keep my brows maintained and tamed. The boy brow comes in four subtly tinted shades. Blonde, brown, black, new auburn, and clear, which doesn't leave a trace. The brushable creamy formula visibly thickens and shapes brows into place, and it gives a soft, flexible hold that doesn't stiffen or flake. Get the entire boy brow, future do, and bomb.com set by visiting glossier.com slash podcast slash ABG. For limited time, new customers can get 10% off your first order. This still expires soon, so act fast. That's G-L-O-S-S-I-E-R dot com slash podcast slash ABG. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swathers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. 
with free and gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next message comes from a listener who is... um, A ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Requesting to remain anonymous. So she is writing in about dealing with white coworkers who look down on diversity programs and claim victim. This listener writes, So for context, I'm in my mid-20s and worked in investment banking before pivoting to the investment side. Terrible experiences include, but are not limited to, dealing with extremely competitive, jealous white colleagues, both male and female, who grew up in extremely white, privileged, i.e. opposite of me, and who I genuinely believe are racist and feel threatened when they see someone who looks and acts like me thriving in the work environment. I have two white male colleagues who have outright said, it's difficult to be a white male these days and will proceed to bash on diversity programs all the time in front of me. I'm the only Asian person on our team, let alone one of the few females too. It's really hard to deal with because on one hand, I want to try to fit in, but on the other hand, I've come to accept that they're insecure. Oh <sighs> my gosh. I'm like, my fingers are on my Helen is super right triggered. I'm just like, oh gosh. <laughs> These like fucking microaggressions at work that no one like wants to talk about, right? Yeah. But it, it, I'm just like, this. yeah, this shit happens all the time. Um, at my prior job, I was pretty involved with the Pan-Asian Professional Network, and whenever I had an event, I'd share it with my colleagues, mainly because I needed to share why I was leaving work early that day for an event, right? But it would just be met with, like, such little excitement. Definitely less than if it were, like, a book club or something. They might ask follow-up questions. But I think race-related matters in general make people feel uncomfortable in the workplace. I mean, I get it. We're not there yet in terms of our society. But... No one cared, and I definitely never felt like I had a lot of support from, you know, my partners or anything like that. I was just kind of doing it because I was passionate Mm. about it. Um, But there was this one conference that I went to, and this was actually a national women's conference. out. It was out in New Jersey. So all women in the U.S., managers and above, within our business unit, we were all there. And after that conference happened, I went back to work, and I got a comment from one of my male colleagues, and they said, you know, one, how was it? I was like, it's great, blah, blah, blah. And two, they were like, why isn't there a male conference? Fuck, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, I fucking roll. Like, ugh. First off, I, like, I knew they were going to say that. Yeah. Mm. Ugh. You could already just sense it in their, their smirkiness mm. as yeah. they're asking the question. But like, people need to check their privilege. The conference was one of the best events that I'd ever been to because in a working world where it is male-dominated, hearing the stories of women and their struggles and hearing it in an environment that felt safe and unjudgmental because it was all women empowered me to start believing that, you know, I'm not in this alone and that I am, I am equal. So for him to sort of like denounce the whole conference by saying, why not me? I'm just like, fuck man. Like yeah. you don't, you don't fucking get it. Just yeah. like, oh, go away. But yeah, this is just like one, one of many stories I feel like I have around people, you know, kind of denouncing these events that are very important to people who work there, mm-hmm. especially for people who are minorities within, you know, the corporate setting that they're working in. That's so unfortunate. I, f- I mean, you you said you were prepared to kind of hear that from him too, which makes me even more sad because you expected it. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Like, and it's just like, it's literally like by the books. You mm-hmm. kind of just expect these types of conversations to go that way, which is unfortunate. And I feel like nowadays, only within like the past couple of years, it's probably, people are probably a lot more sensitive to race-related yeah, yeah. things. Oh, for sure. Which I'm glad about, right? Yeah. Like as, as shitty as this world is right now i think people are much more aware of checking their privilege and knowing not to say certain things yeah um i will say not everyone was like this person that gave this comment so not i don't want to like give just a complete negative light about like coworkers mm-hmm. and things like that but it was just what this one particular person 
that made this comment um, where I could relate very much yeah. to this ghost story. I was going to say her name. <laughs> That's the anonymous name. person. <laughs> but yeah, I've heard so many of these types of responses that I'm just like, not a fan of you. Major eye roll. Yeah, <laughs> major eye roll. What about for you, ladies? Um, so for me, I actually, I'm, as I'm hearing your story, Helen, and also the fact that our anonymous uh, listener, it, the, both finance industry related, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. My personal experience with diversity programs, the one that comes to mind is um, a time when I worked at a design agency. And I don't know if this is an industry difference or also because like the specific agency I was at was a really small team. Mm-hmm. It was like maybe 15 people in the office. Um, and in that setting, the diversity program actually worked really well. And the way that they did it, actually, the, the person who volunteered to lead it was a white woman. Mm. And I think she had a curiosity in learning more about different cultures. Mm. So they would rotate every month, focus on a different culture of someone or making sure that there were people in our office that represented. So we went through Asian, Hispanic, um, uh, Indian. And for each of those focuses, that person would actually create a presentation and it would be done during the workday. So mm. almost like during lunch hour and they would bring in food of their culture. So I feel like that was an example of where it was done well, mm. but I think it, because it was dependent on the, the coworkers and, or the, the employees themselves being actively interested. Yeah. And to know that also like within design agencies, like people, a lot of people like study like ethnography and stuff. So they're naturally interested in cultures and stuff. So I think it's really, really biased, but, um, yeah, that, I guess I, I had, that was one example of, of it where it was done positively yeah. and well-received. Yeah, actually, at my last, I think it depends on the industry and, like, yeah. who's who's involved. Like, at my last job, we had, our, my job was actually, the people who worked there were really diverse. I felt like a mixing pot at my last job. And so we did have, like, a bunch of different types of people at the diversity program. But the thing I would say that I wish they could have fixed is that all our programming for diversity was done after work hours, like 5.30. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Yeah, people are trying to like leave the office. They don't want to stay that long. So I'm just like, how do you make it work? So it's like during work hours, but then you're also loading everyone with work. So I'm like, no one has mm. time to like take take part in these programs. So mm. I think it's a diversity program is a thing to try to fit. Like it's a di- not, I don't say difficult, but how do you blend that into a working space? Yeah. Where people actually want to participate but also get their work done. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I think it's it's one of those where then the, the leadership really has to prioritize it. Yeah, like if you I say agree. people are required to go to this meeting, and but you make it enjoyable and there's like food and yeah. there's discussions, mm-hmm. then there's a natural environment where it embraces learning and stuff, right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. It does have to, I think it does have to come from leadership down because mm-hmm. when I was like involved with it, it felt like I was just my own person within yeah. our team. Like, okay, I'm going yeah. to this thing. All right, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone want to come with me? It's like, no, but everyone had work. So I yeah. could see where... The only time where everyone is kind of taking the same break is during lunchtime. Yeah. So I like how like the program that you talked about, Janet, having it during lunch, having food be catered. That's always yeah. an incentive. It reminds yeah. reminds me of like college campus when yeah. all our like CSA events. It's like come here, we have food, yeah. and then people will show up. It's like you can't leave until the end, okay? <laughs> but yeah, it, it, that is a way to incentivize. But I think it does matter if it comes from like top down, you know, yeah. to make sure it's important. I was just thinking, well, like, food definitely is a freaking huge in- like incentive. Like honestly, I kind of like, I got, I catch myself saying, "Is there food?" Yeah, I guess so. You've never encountered any coworkers that were kind of like oh I, you're part of this like, program like, yeah I mean I might have but for some like I was like digging my brain I couldn't think but when your example of someone who says why isn't there a male I'm sure I've gotten comments like that but I just never registered in that way yeah or if it or if it was made and maybe someone else responded or or I almost feel just like it's like so natural like the expectation yeah, there yeah. is that you're gonna have a dude say that that it's mm. kind of like all right I expect yeah. you to so I'm not gonna register it in my mind as a jarring comment but you know also I think it's because I've been in environments where um, it wasn't so male heavy mm. so if that comment was made it might have been at say like full screen where it was like 50 percent, or not at 50 but like it felt like if they made that comment it really would have been almost like a that's a legit thing to say because it wasn't it is not predominantly ah, right I see, I see. versus mm. i think in your setting that particular example is triggering because it's like it's so fucking obvious that yeah, I'm, you know, yeah. Like, that we are women, women are yeah. minorities yeah. in this space yeah this is just really fascinating to hear about your experience i realized like as i was looking back on mine i was like i really have been surrounded by diversity like and the women heavy so guys don't say shit. Honestly, guys would be like, yeah, you guys need a thing because everyone here is women. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, when I hear these stories coming from our listeners and from me, I'm like, damn, I wonder how it was like working there. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think we get a lot of people writing into us saying like, how do you deal with like yeah. fitting in and code switching and coworkers and things like that. So I, I don't think, I would say that like my encounters that I'm sharing on this podcast is probably only like like 5% of the people that are maybe at these bigger companies that are just like bad apples, right? Yeah. And 
yet you're inevitably almost going to like face these people in yeah. these types of large corporations that are very white and male dominated yeah, yeah. yeah it, it sounds it sounds extra scary like yeah, extra I rude, feel like but... actually this is common though because i think for me yeah. I, I think for me my job is a mind maybe the mind not minority but like less common less common to have this like kind of yeah. like so i think like what your experience is like a lot of listeners are going through these yeah, are very yeah. traditional like yeah asian americans seeking jobs right so i'm just like fuck dude yeah. yeah this is the stuff that we all you know our listeners out there we're all in this together <laughs> and it's until we can practice nepotism that we'll be okay <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> I was just randomly thinking back to I was like I've been in some settings with corporate white men like old like stuffy professional yeah. men but I've also in my advertising time I remember there were settings where it's like older white like surfer dudes like that's a like that kind of bro culture I just that was weird and then but there were women there too and yeah. you could see how they like assimilated to that culture and I was just like oh it's weird yeah <laughs> Yeah. Culture matters a lot. I think it matters a lot to just like your mental health within yes. like going to this job every single day. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's literally when you go in, it's like, I see myself being happy here. Yeah. yeah. All right. So next one comes from Danielle L. She said, I don't know. I worked as a slave in Big Four Audit as a 19-year-old intern. My worst day was working 9 a.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning. Oof. What's worse is that the senior manager seemed oblivious to this and didn't care at all. Instead, she completely roasted me in an email explaining how I wasn't working up to standards and etc. They really forgot that I was just a university intern trying to do their best. So that was the best email to receive at 12 a.m. in the morning. At the end of my internship, my skin was destroyed. I was on three to four hours of sleep a night, and I completely worsened my scoliosis in my back. Honestly, when COVID hit and it was working from home regulation, I slept 12 hours a day, and it took me three months after my internship to fully recover from everything physically. I had a nightmare about working at that internship again last night. You know, we love this toxic workplace where grunge culture is, um, I guess, deemed more better than your health. Oof. Yikes. Ugh, girl, don't even get me started. I, like, totally feel you on this. I think this this type of a job is absolutely not for everyone. It really isn't. And this is, like, truly a corporate horror story. I've talked about the workplace culture at a big four so much now on this podcast, and, and I do have a lot of positives. Honestly, I think it's equipped me with, you know, the ability to manage my time, to multitask, to negotiate with clients, to sort of see the forest through trees. And, and all of this has absolutely helped me through my, through my role at ABG, right? But the downside of gaining those skills at this, like, expedited pace with these never-ending hours, I would say, is everything that you just listed. Like, the long hours destroys your skin, your mental health, your back. I think what frustrates me the most, though, is to hear that you were an intern and they treated you mm-hmm. as as if you weren't, and, and that's really not okay. I think given the experience that I've had at a big four, what's toxic is that I can even understand from the senior manager's perspective why your situation would have happened, as shitty as that sounds. Sometimes you get the luck of the draw and you get managed by someone that actually puts people first, and sometimes you get someone who's been in the system for so long that they're like blinded by the work and the monetary targets that they need themselves to fulfill. And they're also so far removed from you since there is a clear hierarchy in these systems that you might have, you know, a senior or you might be managed by a manager who then is managed by that senior manager. And you as an intern might not even be reporting directly to that senior manager, but they can still say things to you, right? They might not even know that you're an intern. And I think that's where your senior or your manager, the person who's looking after you, should have stepped in and should have spoken up, honestly. All of this is like terrible, right? And I think the system does need to be fixed where it's more focused on people first, especially when there are so many deadlines and so many fast-paced things happening. So I'm sorry to hear that that happened to you. And I hope you've recovered from that internship, both both you know mentally and physically. Um, and I hope you do find something that is a better fit for you. Yeah, Danielle, um, yikes. Your story is is definitely, definitely be considered a corporate horror story. Um, one positive I could think to this is that having experienced this as, you know, during like a finite summer internship might actually have been better than experiencing this, you know, as your first year kind of job. So it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise that because you had this negative experience, I'm assuming then that you maybe have determined that this is maybe not the place for you. Because I think oftentimes when we get into that first job, we no matter how good or bad it is, we feel kind of obligated to at least stay for like a year or so, right? So maybe that's one one positive way to look at this is anytime you experience something kind of more challenging or negative, uh, you know, when you're younger, it does help inform your future decisions. Um, for myself personally, I I never experienced this level of um, 
uh, of lack of work-life balance as an intern. But as someone who did start out as a big four, at a big four, I can definitely attest to your description as being pretty accurate, right? Like it wasn't, it's not to say that every single day was like this, but when busy season came around, I could definitely, like Helen say, said, um, the the internal workings of the business and the incentives and the systems are just set up in such a way where that is the default kind of like behavior and that's the default culture. Um, so, uh, you know, Danielle, I'm sorry you had to experience that, but hopefully, uh, you know, like you're able to um, take that learning with you and kind of be even more prepared than other kind of people who are experiencing that after they've already graduated. I think Helen and Janet just you know, gave really great advice and perspectives, you know, especially you two coming from the big four. I feel like I'm just nodding along like, yes, you guys make a lot of sense and understand the system of that kind of work environment. But again, like to, you know, to echo Helen, Janet, I'm really sorry to hear about this, Danielle. Um, I think I mentioned this before in the podcast. I'm someone that really loves clear balance. And it sounds like obviously you did not get that at all. I feel like working long hours can get really tricky. I think it's one thing if you're a full-time employee and getting a salary. My past work experience where I did work long hours, but I did get paid salary and I was a full-time employee. And, you know, there are days you have to work longer to get your work done. But again, I think that type of work does come with a higher salary and like it's a level of, you know, employment there. And when I hear about the situation, the main thing that jumps at me is the lack of management from your senior manager. The boundaries not as clear or like just sometimes your senior manager is working on so many things they can't see what you're working on. But, you know, I never worked in a finance or in a big four company and I understand it's hard. But I think, you know, in your situation, I feel words of encouragement or empathy from your manager could have been really beneficial in the situation. Um, I think in general with internships and long hours, it really depends on the industry. Like, for example, I know in film and production, I was used to working long hours and it's kind of normal depending on the shoot days. But again, I think it depends on the industry you want to work in and like what you want to pursue down the line. Within my industry, I hear stories of, you know, female producers that, you know, had to give up a lot of marriages and family time because they wanted to be a producer. And there are things you have to sacrifice for that type of job. But that's really just kind of situation where you got to figure out what do I want to do and what am I willing to sacrifice? Do I want a family and all these things. So it really reminds me of the movie, like, you know, The Devil Wears Prada, and you see Miranda Priestly and the way she lives. I feel that's kind of similar to a lot of other, you know, women in, you know, film and media and other, you know, corporate industries. So I think it really depends on where you, what you want to be and what kind of work environment you want to work in. But like Janet said, I think these experiences kind of suck, but it does help you in the end determine, you know, your boundaries and what industry you want to work in. One size fits all may work for your accessories, but when it comes to your hair, we all need something a little bit different to help us look our best. What if your hair care was as unique as you are? Function of Beauty is hair care that is formulated specifically for you. No matter your hair type, they create shampoo, conditioner, and treatments to fit your unique needs. Here's how it works. First, you take a quick but thorough quiz and tell them a little bit about your hair. Next, Function of Beauty's team determines the right blend of ingredients for your hair and they'll bottle your custom formula and deliver it right to your door in a cute customizable bottle mixed in your favorite color. Yes, they can change the color of the shampoo, conditioner, and or treatment to match your showering moods. And they'll even print your name on it so it's truly customized for you. Function of Beauty is also vegan, cruelty-free, they never use sulfites, parabens, or any other harmful ingredients. So what are you waiting for? Go to functionofbeauty.com abg to take your four-part hair profile quiz and save 20% on your first order. Go to functionofbeauty.com abg for 20% off and to let them know that you heard about it from our show. That's functionofbeauty.com abg. There's a world of entertainment options out there nowadays. Trust us, we consume so much more content now that our Friday and Saturday nights are kept indoors. If you didn't know, there are a lot of compelling international shows you may be missing out on, too. Today, we want to burst your domestic TV bubble and introduce you to Acorn TV. Acorn TV is a commercial-free streaming service that's rooted in British television. It's home to sophisticated and artful storytelling with top-rated mysteries, addicting dramas, heartfelt comedies, and so much more. If you're a fan of quirky British comedy, then The Other One is a must-watch. It follows two sisters from very different worlds who had no idea the other existed until their father drops dead. I always find something new to watch on Acorn TV because it's loaded with thousands of hours of binge-worthy content. You can stream on all your favorite devices for just $5.99 a month. One show that I'm going to check out is A Place to Call Home, a show that explores the ties that hold families together and the betrayals that can tear them apart. Escape to Britain and beyond without leaving your seat. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use our promo code ABG. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV code ABG to get your first 30 days for free. 
For our cat owners or friends of cat owners, we want to share with you a unique partnership. Even though none of the three of us care for cats, we have many close friends who do and who have appreciated our partner, Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is kitty litter reinvented. It's super light crystals trap odor and release moisture, resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. And it's virtually dust-free because it's manufactured with a specialized de-dusting process. Pretty Litter arrives safely at your door in a small, lightweight bag that lasts up to a month, and you can get the bags auto-shipped. And shipping is free. Saving a last-minute trip to the store is extra nice during this time of social distancing. But above all else, here's why Pretty Litter is a pet parent's hero. It's a health indicator. Pretty Litter monitors your cat's health by changing colors when it detects potential underlying issues. What a wonderful new feature that you won't find in conventional cat litter. Get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code ABG for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code ABG for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code ABG. All right, so another story came in from Hannah C, and this is a bit of a shorter one. She says, My white male partner at my firm asked if I plan to be a stay-at-home mom someday. I responded, my husband will likely be the stay-at-home parent, and he looked shocked and confused. That is all that she gave us. Um, Have you ladies dealt with these very personal questions at work before, and and what do you think about it? Oh my gosh. If I were Hannah, I think I would react very, like, I would definitely be turned off by that as well. Um, I personally have not been asked that question. So at my first corporate job, um, our main female partner, actually, um, she had twins and her husband was a stay-at-home dad. So I I think maybe for me, I just kind of saw that and I I did know that it was unique, you know, in terms of a situation, but um, it was nice to see that that is an example out there in the world. But yeah, I I guess I, I personally have not dealt with those types of questions, but I know that it's it's fairly inappropriate, I think, to to ask about someone's kind of like family planning. And uh, especially I think the way that it was worded, like, do you plan to be a stay-at-home mom versus mm-hmm. asking someone, you know, you could word it like saying, uh, do you see yourself leaving this career if they're trying to gauge like future planning or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, workplace policies and discrimination against uh, like pregnant women, they're pretty like I kind of Googled this because I was intrigued by by her question. And um, it's actually completely possible for or it's like within the woman's right who's pregnant to not have to tell her employer that she's pregnant like that mm-hmm. is something at least according to um workplacefairness.org uh is, is what they said so this tells me then that you know questions like this in this direction are definitely not okay to ask mm-hmm. um yeah. so yeah hannah i'm sorry that you had to experience that but how about you ladies have you faced any type of experiences like this I personally, like, luckily have not also faced these kind of instances before. But, Jane, I think you brought up a good point. It's just the way he asked. It's kind of like he assumed that, oh, you're going to be a stay-at-home mom, right? I think that is just really inappropriate. And I feel like when I hear about this situation and I think about this guy, it's like he's either, one, like, kind of chauvinistic or, two, living a very different time frame. I think it's very normal nowadays to have a dad be the stay-at-home parent and the mom could be the career person. So, it just feels like he sounds kind of dated, to be honest. And if, that, if I were Hannah in the situation, I would probably ask him, why are you so confused with my answer? And turn the question on him and, and wonder, why, why, are you, why do you assume this on me? Because I just think, kind of, I, I feel like part of me is like, how can you ask such an inappropriate question to me? You know what I mean? But knowing myself, I would also probably be like Hannah and very confused and shocked and be like, did you just seriously ask me that question? I'm sorry, Hannah, you had to go through this. Helen, do you ask me yeah, no, I, I mean, same same as you ladies. I personally have luckily not had someone make a comment like that to me before. And I think I probably would have responded the same as Hannah. You know, I would have said one like that. Well, that's a very personal question. And then I would have said, you know, I'm curious, where is this question coming from? Like, is my answer going to be a deterrent if I plan to have a career here in the long run? Mm. Um and two, I think if the if the discussion does somehow go well, and I can see that he is clearly like apologetic about this incredibly biased gender based presumption, I would say, well, you know, my boyfriend or fiance and I have talked about this in the past, and we are very adamant about keeping things fifty fifty in the household. So, no, I don't I don't plan to be a stay at home mom, but that is also so far down the line that things could change, and maybe it'll be different then. Who knows, right? Something I think like gentle enough not mm-hmm. to burn any bridges or or the relationship but that will make them question why they asked what they did. Um, I think throughout my career, I've learned to navigate these questions in a way where 
I suppress like immediately the fumes that are coming out of my ears, like a like a freaking if you can imagine like a cartoon mm-hmm. with like smoke coming out of their ears, <laughs> because, because these questions like borderline, if not, is very misogynistic, right? And I think any question about family planning matters is is not something that should be talked about at work. Like you mentioned, Janet, it's just it's super not appropriate. And I think throughout the years, I've learned to suppress that like those emotions and turn turn the the fuel into a like mm, well that doesn't seem very appropriate like oh why, why are you asking that question to just make them think about why they asked the question and to honestly just check themselves mm-hmm. like at the door to just not bring that into the workplace so um yeah i'm sorry that happened to you hannah that's really inappropriate um and hopefully you know whether it's you or someone else i hope that someone tells them that that's not okay to do at work We received so many stories on our IG related to emotional abuse, dealing with leadership judging your abilities based on the color of your skin, dealing with coworkers who look down on on diversity programs and try to claim victim and oppression, bosses asking women when they plan to have kids, employers abusing contract workers, the need to code switch, getting destroyed by long hours, nepotism, sexual harassment, and the list unfortunately goes on. I know we started this conversation fairly light and fun, but at the end of the day, a lot of these horror stories involve harassment, bullying, and abuse in the workplace. And being bullied at work can really harm your mental and physical health from side effects like stress, anxiety, depression, trauma, gastrointestinal issues. I know for me, I remember holding in my runs many times because I was afraid to miss a client call. Constant toxicity in your work environment creates a place where you're always living in fear and not feeling like you can be yourself. When it comes to workplace bullying, we recognize that for some of you, especially our younger listeners, it's difficult to recognize when you're caught in the middle of a toxic workplace situation, especially if you're working at your first job out of college. We hope that some of these stories help educate on behavior in the workplace that is not okay. And remember that harassment is not typically an individual problem, it's likely a structural one. And it takes bravery to speak up against a harmful person or environment when we see it. Speak up early on, document the abuse, the who, what, when, where, and why, and document your performance in detail. Do your research, talk to a higher-up or someone in HR, and if all else fails, know that you always have the option to look for a new job. You can find us on all the podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a rating and review at Asian Boss Girl. It really does help us. And if you'd like to support us through monthly donations, you can do so at anchor.fm slash slash support. We are also very active on social. Our handle is at Asian Boss Girl. If you resonate with today's episode, leave us a comment on your corporate horror stories in our most recent Instagram post or screen cap the podcast, tag us, and we may reshare on our IG story. From this episode, we hope you take away that you're not alone in whatever horror story you might be living and working through. Also find us on YouTube where we have started posting some videos. Like Dear ABG, subscribe at Asian Boss Girl. And thank you so much to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. Catch us on the next episode. Bye.